This is the Tornado Trackers Podcast. The Tornado Trackers are storm chasers Jeremy Heyman, Jeff Mangum, and me, Gabe Cox. Hey everyone, I'm Jeremy. I'm Gabe. And I'm Jeff. Welcome to the Tornado Trackers podcast. We are so excited to have you here today. We've got an amazing show. Um, we're so excited. Uh, we've got a guest on the show today who is uh, kind of a hero for 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 us, I think. But um, before we dive into that, Gabe, you teased a little bit of something. You've got a, a little nugget to chat about. Uh, I got a what, nugget. What do you got? I found this little, I, I was reading my kids, National Geographic kids, and this one popped up that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, I'm a little curious how they figured this one out, but it says one lightning bolt contains enough energy to toast about 100,000 slices of bread. Wow. So do what you will with that piece of information. I thought it was interesting. I I thought the same thing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I think it could probably burn through 100,000 slices of bread. Or toaster strudels. Yeah, I would say like 100,000 loaves at least. Maybe it's powering the toaster oven. I'm not (laughs) sure. It's like like lightning is like the hotter than the surface of the sun. That's Nat, Nat Geo. We love you. What, uh, yeah, I don't know that? if that's a trusted source anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put that one aside. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. How you guys yeah. doing? Doing awesome. Yeah, doing great, man. Jeff, yeah. you're in a special spot right now, special location. I am. I'm. I'm in the uh, KXAN studios here in austin texas and so uh been having some fun with the green screen and failing miserably and uh <laughs> relearning what humility is in a lot of ways but having a blast dude that sounds awesome i've heard you're a natural heard you're a natural <laughs> Well, that's a great segue into let's let's bring our guest in. Our guest, I know, was itching to talk about the lightning. So let me intro him really quick, and then he can he can set us straight. Uh, recently <laughs> celebrating his thirtieth anniversary at KXAN, Jim Spencer has been forecasting Austin and Central Texas weather longer than anyone in the history of Austin television. Jim has received extensive national recognition for his work. He is a past recipient of the National Weather Association's Weathercaster of the Year award jim has been awarded three emmys and has been nominated for several more he is also a five-time winner of the texas associated press best weathercast award and has been voted austin's best weathercaster 21 times by readers of the austin chronicle i want to know what happened those nine other times honestly that's (laughs) that's that doesn't seem right to me he should that's all our time folks good night (laughs) jim spencer welcome to the Tornado Trackers podcast. It is a thrill to have you. Thank you so much, and thanks for that wonderful introduction. And I'm thrilled to be uh, with you guys. I have uh, respected your work, used your work on the air uh, <laughs> so many times. Uh, it's just a, an honor for me to be uh, with you. You guys are uh, amazing, and uh, we thank you for you know your contribution to the public safety. Uh, thank you for your contribution to our broadcast here at KXAN. Uh, you guys catch tornadoes that nobody else can seem to find. And it's just uh, <laughs> the work you do is amazing. So I thank you. Awesome. Uh, that's a pleasure. That's, that's, that's high praise. Yeah. yeah. I've kind of got chills right now. I'm like, wow, did you, see, <laughs> did you just hear that? That's rad. Um, so Jim, something we like to ask everybody at the top of the show um, is, is 
what's your what's your weather story? We believe everyone is affected by weather. You know that better than anyone else. Um, you know, some of us go into the profession or we are kind of become weather fanatics. Um, but do you have anything from your past or your history, maybe when you were a kid, kind of what flipped the switch in your brain about what made weather something really special to you? I grew up in an area that you all have come to know well. You know, every back road in South Central Oklahoma, probably in Garvin County. Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up in Lindsay uh, in Garvin County, right in the middle of Tornado Alley in South Central Oklahoma, about 40 miles south of Oklahoma City. And some of my earliest memories from childhood are of the tornado siren Mm -hmm. and what that would involve once the tornado siren sounded. Every little town in Oklahoma, as you know, has a tornado siren. Uh, ours was an old air raid siren I heard from, you know, World War II uh, in Lindsay. And it's just the loudest thing the whole town could hear it. And it just wailed, you know, for at least three minutes after they uh, set it off. And that meant we had to go next door because we didn't have a storm cellar, but our neighbors did. And we'd have to go down into the creepy cellar with the spiders. And it was so damp and moist and, you know, light candles and light the uh, you know, the candles, then wait on the storm. And it was real scary uh, mm-hmm. when I was really young. But at some point, a f- switch flipped. And I recall it being about third grade that I just became really fascinated by um, the reaction that everyone had when this event happened, when there was a tornado warning. And that siren sounded. We were all, all in that in my hometown, about 4,000 people growing up, all focused on this one event and it changed everything that everybody was doing Mm. and this this mysterious thing called a tornado that i'd never laid eyes on before but i wanted to see it and so i was about in third grade when i started asking you know my dad can we can i stay up because he he'd be the last one to come to the storm cellar if he came can i stay up here i want to i want to see it too now you guys get on down there i'll be be there if i need to um and so in in uh third grade also i started watching uh the news uh, because i came so fascinated by it i wanted to see when the next chance we had of a tornado because it became something i really looked forward to and i started watching um a meteorologist on channel nine in oklahoma city he just started when i was in third grade as a matter of fact about 1972 ish uh his name is gary england oh uh, well, yeah very familiar with him oh yeah I started watching Gary England when he first started up there in, uh, in 1972, and I, I was probably the only third grader that watched the news every night, but I watched it for the weather. And um, I didn't know better then, but you know, if the forecast was sunny for the next week, I'd still watch every night to see if a tornado might have entered the forecast for tomorrow, <laughs> right? So by the time I was in fourth grade, um, I remember specifically telling you know, my classmates um, when it was, uh, what are you going to do for your career day? I'm going to be a weatherman one day. So I wanted to do what Gary England did. I wanted to tell people about tornadoes on TV. And I never really thought about anything else. But the thing that that my weather story, I guess, would relate to uh, really bad storms, m- tornado warnings every year, the tornado siren going off every year. Of course, we think the fire department, the guys down there, our storm chasers around Lindsay, they had a real easy trigger for the tornado <laughs> siren. You know, it, it never really happened most of the time. But... Um, yeah, that's what really uh, uh, got my passion in weather uh, initiated. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I personally really relate with that. I grew up in Nebraska and very similar tornado sirens and testing them each week. And it's it's a potent thing for a little kid to experience all that. And especially you going down into the cellar. That's 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 very memorable for a little kid. Absolutely. And then we had, you know, we had a few bad ones. We had a tornado go directly over my house, did some tree damage. But uh, the roar, you know, I've heard the roar from inside our neighbor's cellar. And our neighbor had a 
uh, a seller that had a ten a ten roof. I mean the oh. the door. The cellar door was was ten, and so you got golf ball size hail raining down on that ten door, and it was just the scariest thing, you know, ever. But that particular tornado, which I think was 1974, um, I remember the, distinctly hearing the roar of that tornado when we came out. There was damage around town, um, but that was the scariest one. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that's so impactful. Those those memories don't leave us. Um, and you know what you said? You 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 remember that tornado siren when you were young? Actually, I was home uh, a couple of months ago, and they tested the siren on a Thursday uh, afternoon um, at noon, whenever they do it now. And I was so excited about it, I got my phone and I recorded it. <laughs> I do the same thing. They test them in Georgetown the first Saturday of every month, and I make everyone stop. I'm like, everyone, don't bother me right now. Give me 10 seconds. And this was like a couple of months ago I did it's, that. It's so. the call of our people. It right? <laughs> it's our church bells. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jim, you're closing the book on an incredible 30-year career forecasting weather in Central Texas. You know, nobody probably knows the weather in that area better than you. Um so what comes to your mind after after that career of, of being that connected with forecasting in that area? What comes to mind when, when you hear Central Texas weather? Um, I would say um, the, the volatility, but as you guys know, it's not all that crazy volatile, you know, where <laughs> we live, uh, except when it comes to flash flooding. Yeah. You know, we can have an event that doesn't look like much, and then a few days later, it's turned into just a, an incredible flash flood event around here because we live in Flash Flood Alley. Yeah. The terrain, uh, the, the hill country here, we're just so flash flood prone. That comes to mind um, immediately. Um, <laughs> we get the right amount of severe weather here. I, when I was a kid, I I'd always planned on working in Oklahoma City because, you know, I grew up watching Oklahoma City. I wanted to work shoulder to shoulder with Gary England. Yeah. Um, but man, you know, their viewing area in Oklahoma City is, it covers the whole state. And they, they cover severe weather every day from, you know, March till June sometimes. And it would be, it would be too much. It, you know, it really would. So we get the right amount of severe weather down here to really keep me engaged and keep it interesting. <laughs> um, and and uh, otherwise, um, you know, I just love, I love Austin. Uh, I love the climate. Oklahoma was too cold for me. <laughs> Tells you how cold natured <laughs> I am. Um, and I think about the, as I look back over my 30 years, I think about the, um, you know, big events that I've covered. They, they come to mind. They, they stand out. That, that, that's something that really kind of sparks my brain. I, I grew up here in the Austin area. And so I was a teenager when you began, uh, broadcasting here in Austin. And so getting to, uh, talk with you and and get to know you is uh is is uniquely exciting for me because you were the one that I watched you were my Gary England and so um I went to a college about 45 minutes north of Austin and there's a particular day that we'd love to spend some time talking about and I'm sure you know exactly what that is uh the most monumental weather day it seems to be in Texas history, um, or one of them at least, but the Gerald Texas tornado from May 27th, 1997. Would love just to hear some of your thoughts on a couple of things. What was it like to broadcast that day? Um, and then what are just some of the thoughts that come to mind about that day? I'm sure there are plenty. Oh man, yeah. It was, um, 
the single biggest weather event I worked in not only my 30 year career here at KXAN, but I've been forecasting the weather every day for 37 years. I started my first television station was Ada, Oklahoma, uh, Sherman Denison, Texas market. And by far the biggest, most important, deadliest weather event that I worked in my entire career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned that day specifically didn't I didn't think it was going to be that big a deal. You know, we were kind of we were outlooked in a severe weather outlook, but kind of the southern edge and you know, slight risk. Uh, the first tornado watch came out and uh, Williamson County was the uh, may, may have gotten may have been the southernmost county if it was even included initially. I think it probably mm-hmm. was. Um, and. You know, a a kind of a broad trough coming in from the west, not great wind shear, as you guys know. You guys know all the meteorology of that event that day. Um, And so I had no suspicion that it would end up being anything more than, you know, kind of a typical late May severe weather day, which can be bad, no doubt about it. Tornado certainly a possibility, but an F5, nobody could have ever predicted that. But um, the, the interesting thing about that day is, it became obvious early that we were going to have a tornado in our viewing area. Our viewing area begins on the Williamson-Bell County line at Gerald, basically. Gerald is in our viewing area. And we started having reports of multiple tornado touchdowns near Waco. And then they started building south of Waco and southwest down the cold front. And so I had so much time to prepare for that tornado that, you know, I told the crew, hey, get the lights turned on, the camera in here. I'm going to go put on some makeup and, and uh, you know, get myself a drink and, and all of that. And so I got really set up and established. And uh, we went on the air. I, I said, let's go on at, uh, I think it was right at 3 p.m. Uh, we did our first cut in and we... Um, uh, we started talking about the tornadoes that were headed south toward uh, the Gerald area or toward Williamson County, toward our viewing area, but they weren't there yet. But no tornado warning had been issued. So we went on really early, stayed on for a little while. And um, then when the first tornado warning was issued, which I think was 3.20 p.m. for Williamson County and Gerald, we went back on and went wall to wall if we hadn't already been on wall to wall before then. Um, but we started telling folks in Gerald and in Northern Williamson County at straight up 3 PM, there are tornadoes, multiple tornadoes. They're clearly continuing to develop down along this cold front. So we suspect there's a good chance there'll be a tornado warning issued for with Gerald, Northern Williamson County, you know, start making your preparations right now. We've had spotter reports of tornado on the ground as uh, close as Salado to you folks in the Gerald area. And we are continuing to get a very good indication of some pretty strong shear in this thunderstorm. You folks in Gerald need to take your tornado precautions at this time. The maddening thing about that whole event is that we had such good warning and everybody Mm. did the right thing. Yeah. And then it ended up being, you know, the monster NF5 that you had to be underground or out of the way to survive. I say that there were a few people that did survive that their homes were swept away, which is a whole other story. Um, but, yeah, you know, what stands out to me is I, I was proud of how we handled it and that we were in place and that we warned we were the first on the air. Uh, we we warned that storm very, very well. And it still ended up where 27 people uh, lost their lives, even though they were doing the right thing. But, you know, unlike Oklahoma City, especially back then, we don't have a helicopter. 
that launches when there's tornadoes that start touching down. In fact, we had a helicopter once, and uh, honestly, my boss wouldn't let us launch the helicopter if there might be a thunderstorm in the area. Okay, that's the general rule, right? Yeah. Up there, they launch the helicopter to go look for the tornadoes, as you guys know, Channel 4, Channel 9, up there. Uh, so we didn't have any visual on that tornado to see how it spun up from the rope and the F-0 and F-1 until it grew, grew and grew and grew to the S, this F-5. In Oklahoma City, I've heard Gary England many times, more Oklahoma tornadoes. Folks, look at this tornado. We're showing it to you live right now. You've, this is one you need to be underground or out of the way. And that saved lots of lives, having that visual on the kind of tornado it was. Yeah. Um, we didn't have that luxury. And never in our wildest dreams would we believe that an F-5 tornado was about to spin up. And so it was the standard tornado rules, you know, go to the uh, lowest floor in your home, interior room, hallway, bathroom, closet, put as many walls between you and the tornado as possible, get down low, cover up, get in the bathtub if you can. The standard tornado rules uh, should have applied and everybody be, would have been fine. But little did we know, the first and only F-5 tornado ever to this day, till up to then and to this day, in this part of Texas, uh, to form was uh, going to form there in Gerald. West of I-35, across the Williamson County line into northern Williamson County, near the Gerald area. Do not try to drive up I-35, as that roadway has been closed. I just spoke with News 36 reporter James Lynch, who is in this area near Gerald. He and photojournalist Mike Price, and they say that this tornado has been on the ground almost continuously right along IH-35, just southeast of Gerald. If you live in any of You guys know all about it, and I think probably all of your listeners, they're uh, weather and tornado geeks, they know all about Gerald. Yeah. And, but it was just crazy. And then it went on from there. After Gerald, we had the uh, EF3. I say EF back then. I've been here so long, I only know F, <laughs> F, F3. We had the F3 in uh, Cedar Park. And then not long after that, we had the F4 form. F- funny thing about that, it formed as a water spout on Lake Travis, wow. honestly. Wow. Went on land uh, out there near Hazy Hills uh, in western Travis County and then turned into the F4, which to this day is the only F4 tornado ever recorded in Travis County. Wow. Wow. I did not know that. And it gets looked over because of uh, the Gerald tornado. Yeah. Speaking, and in, in some of our audience might not be familiar with the Gerald tornado. Um, so what do you remember about the damage from Gerald? Well, I remember first the first video that came back. We had sent photographers that way. We got them on the road pretty early because uh, we knew there were tornadoes coming south. Uh, and so we had a photog on I-35 there uh, shooting the, the Gerald tornado. Some of the most famous uh, video of the Gerald tornado was the tornado from, our, from KXAN. Um, and so once that video got back, we didn't send a light truck. I don't think they fed it. They had to drive it back here. Traffic was a nightmare because it was really stormy, severe storm in Austin. So they had to drive it back here. And then so at some point, about 4 o'clock or whatever, they put the video up for me to look at. And I'm like, oh, my God. Um, that looks like a – I think I might have said that looks like it had to be at least an F4. Just from the visual look at the tornadoes that we uh, – our photographers captured today on videotape up near Gerald, looks to me that may be F3, F4 variety. And then – the damage pictures. It was hard. We didn't get damage pictures for a while because, you know, they wouldn't let anybody near that place, right? Right. We didn't get damage pictures for a while. But once I heard that, but we did learn pretty quickly that evening that um, there were 25, 27, maybe 30 people dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that it was going to be, uh, everything was going to be wiped away. And it kind of was. 
my, the director, who's also listening uh, in on our podcast, reminded me that um, we did have a live reporter north of Gerald, but we had a real spotty signal because he was out in the country and we couldn't really get him. Mm, wow. And then um, after about about two hours after the uh, tornado hit, I forgot about this, um, we rented a uh, we rented a helicopter for the first aerial video. video. Wow. We had the first aerial damage video. Yeah. Our director's walking through the studio. He's reminding me of some things I'd forgotten about. Yeah, the reason we had a spotty signal of not seeing the tornado live is that the wind was so crazy. Uh, it was just pushing the microwave uh, back and forth. Oh, we couldn't lock in on the signal. But yeah, I forgot wild. about renting that chopper. We went and got the first aerial footage uh, not long so after the tornado So that helicopter hit. footage. So I used to do what you did as a kid, and I would watch the news to to learn more about tornadoes. And when the Gerald tornado happened, I was in sixth grade. Um, and I was, I, I watched the world news that night and it was that helicopter footage that you just talked about. I was already obsessed with tornadoes, but then to see the damage. And if people haven't, if, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, go look up videos of it. It, it will blow your mind, uh, what this tornado did. Cause there wasn't even damage left behind. Yeah. It was just mud yeah. and foundations. You know, it, Texas, piping. it sucked up the grass and the asphalt. Like there was absolutely, it looked like it was cleared with a bulldozer, but it, it was pulled, the tornado. It, we, we say, yeah, all it left was a foundation. It really didn't even leave the entire foundation. It pulled up the plumbing out of the foundation. It wow. pulled up anchor bolts oh my God. that held the frame of the house. The anchor bolts were gone. Uh, tech, I talked to a Texas Tech uh, wind expert who described it as possibly the most intense tornado damage um, on record. Wow. wow, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, and when you look at the you look at the footage, it's not hard to believe because it's just. Yeah, I didn't know what I was looking at as a kid. I was like, well, "Where's the damage?" Yeah, because it just looked like a. Where, were the, field. where are the houses? Right, right. Uh, just so many horrible stories that came came out of there. I'm I'm uh, I'm curious what was the um, and what did you feel in terms of being a broadcaster that day? Was there a unique pressure and responsibility that you felt? Um, in that, while that was going on, you know, again, while it was going on, um, it was for me another tornado warning. Um, it was just, just the standard. Oh, by the another thing is we had um, we had the only live Doppler radar in Austin at the time. We had an actual mm. live uh, radar at, at the time with a, a Doppler feature. And so we were looking at that. We were seeing the inbound and outbound winds, but we'd already had reports. Literally, I think at least seven tornadoes had touched them. Just kind of crazy what had happened about Waco. But every report we were getting is they were all small. So that's what I thought we were dealing with, honestly. And you know, Gerald started out as his little rope, as you know, a real small little tornado, and then just just the, the I call it just an absolute freak of nature that tornado that day. A, absolute freak of nature how it spun up into that f5 and then before it got to and and moving southwest along the front at five miles per hour that never happens you know yeah and so it was only later that i knew what we had dealt with make a long story short i I thought it was an average tornado day hey everybody you're gonna be fine as as all tornadoes are i didn't say this thank god but as all tornadoes are around here you know they're ef zeros ef ones ef twos if you're in your house that's not a mobile home if you're in your house that's not a mobile home you're fine if you go to that interior room lowest level cover up pills blankets you're you're gonna be okay that's that's what still pains me to this day is that advice uh did not work that day Mm -hmm. Um, the only thing that gives me any comfort at all 
is that um, a family member of one of the families in Gerald, Double Creek Estate Subdivision, that was wiped out. There were three members of that family in one of the homes, and they all went to the center room, into the bathtub, and covered up. Uh, the house was wiped off the foundation, but two of the family members that were in the bathtub, while they were blown you know, out into the field somewhere, they both survived. Uh, the, the gentleman uh, in that family did not. And um, I had a family, uh, a relative of them tell me one day uh, privately that I just want you to know that our family credits you with our family surviving that tornado. Even though we lost one, one of our family members, uh, they, they credit your warnings for telling them exactly what to do. Wow. So, you know, that, that makes me feel a little better, but still... 27 people die doing what they were supposed to. Unbelievable. Hmm. So having done, having done broadcast meteorology for 30 years, what advice would you give to aspiring meteorologists or young meteorologists who um, maybe enter wide-eyed and then they're hit with a situation like this and, and feel some, some sense of responsibility um, yeah. and, and, and reconciling their passion for weather with these events that happen? Yeah, um, that's a good question. My my advice to my interns over the years, you know, have been the official information that you that you are required to relay to the public. Our FCC requirements uh, are that we relay official information to the public, and so that's from the National Weather Service, right? Yeah. And so you provide those warnings, watches, and warnings in a timely manner to the public through our broadcast means, and now all kinds of other means, social media. Uh, digital or kxn.com and you give the appropriate um, safety information related to that warning if there's a flash flood you're supposed to do this 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 in this kind of situation you do this if uh, it's a tornado warning again get underground when possible it's the safest place to be but if you don't have underground shelter um, this the interior room lowest level and you know we'll never in our lifetimes I bet we never have another f5 tornado around here you know that's how right rare that was and so those safety tips that are the official advice from the national weather service are effective and they save lives we just we we go i encourage them everyone to you know um don't take too much responsibility on your shoulders or too much blame on your shoulders you give the best warning you can possibly give you give the official advice for making yourself making your viewers safe during this particular situation. And if you have reason to believe that there's something else at play here, we'll let them know that. Be honest with them, of course. But that's all we can do. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. And 99% of the time, that's really all we can do. But we want to give them a heads up. It's coming. Here's what you should do. So do this. Rarely do you say, do something else. Right. You know, as you know, they have changed the guidelines a little bit over the years. Mm-hmm. Like instead of like immediately, if you see a tornado, get out of your car and get into a ditch. You know, now you know there's the whole, and and they changed a little bit over, as you know about mobile homes. Now, if it, it, don't just get out of your mobile home and go get in a ditch. If if the, if your best option and you're in a mobile home is to go get into your car and drive somewhere else, okay, do that. You know, they changed that year a few years back. Uh, yeah. The official safety rules for mobile homes, and I think even if you're driving down the road, uh, the advice now is, and I know it is, if you leave a mobile home and you're in your car, uh, go you drive to a more sturdy structure. Is what I'm saying. Drive to a more sturdy structure. Right. Um, but it, but if you get into debris, 
You're supposed to put your seatbelt on and you lay down below window level of the car. And if you can pull into a ditch and lay down, that's even even better. But um, some safety rules have changed over the years, and that, that's one of them. I know you guys would probably do that exact same thing. You've been in debris before. What did you do? I've, I've had to do that before, actually. <laughs> yeah. It was not a fun experience. That's for another podcast, though. That's right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. So, so Jim, what, what advice would you give to the, you know, the kids in high school or junior high who are like pretty, pretty finding themselves fascinated with weather, with science? Um, what advice would you give them as they start to kind of their journey of maybe inching towards meteorology or mm-hmm. broadcast meteorology? Right. Uh, there are kind of two different things that I, that I would say to them. In fact, I got an email today from a senior in high school. Once my my advice, I haven't I haven't responded yet, but I will. I always answer those. I always try to you know pay it forward. Gary England, uh, you know, I don't watch him. He became my mentor in this business, and I credit him with oh, my wow. I credit him with my success. I really do. And wow. so it's always been my. Um, uh, goal and I've succeeded at that goal is paying that forward to my interns and helping helping them progress. So my advice is to those uh, students that write to me or talk to me at career days about I really want to do what you do, like I want to do what Gary England did. I tell them do as well as you can at math and at science. Um, you can you can get online right now and learn more about meteorology jet jet stream weather school for example you know you can get online right now and see everything that i see basically weather models etc when i was in third fourth fifth grade i went to the library and they had the same two weather books in the library that i checked out over and over <laughs> and now so i tell them you can learn know so much about the weather by the time you graduate high school that you are well on your way already but math obviously and science is so important if you want to do what i do and some of them say, I don't really want to be on TV. Okay. You know, really focus on the math science. But if you want to do what I do, um, get into communications, debate, speech events, uh, acting, whatever. Because part of what we do on TV is really, it's a performance too. Uh, because you, uh, it's not a normal thing to be standing and talking to people and there's just a camera standing in front of you, you know. <laughs> That's not normal. So you have to, you know, pretend sort of. You know, that your audience is there, and they are there. They're just on the other side of a camera lens. One other thing I say for broadcasters is if you can get a gig in radio uh, early in your career, man, that's helpful. Because DJs, they just ad-lib everything, right? And it makes you a good ad-libber. And when we do the weather on TV, we don't read the teleprompter. We are out there ad-libbing that weather cast. Of course, the maps are kind of our teleprompter. But um, communication, 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 any way you can improve that, that's what to do. Otherwise, it's math, it's science, it's meteorology. I recommend students get a Bachelor of Science in meteorology when possible. Um, But it's not always necessary. Some people, I hated math. I did not get a BS in meteorology. Math was my worst subject. Um, There are other opportunities that, that you have to break into broadcast meteorology through programs like at Mississippi State, and there are others that, are, that is focused on broadcast meteorology. You learn the physics, you learn the meteorology, but you don't have to get really detailed in three semesters of math, you know, intense math and calculus four and stuff that you will never, ever use again in a TV broadcast setting. Do you know what I mean? Right. But they also help you at the same time prepare for the, the broadcast end of it. So... Uh, one of those one of those two tracks. But if you want to work at the National Weather Service, I say a BS in meteorology at the University of Oklahoma. 
is where I would recommend. Now, there are a lot of, there are a lot of good <laughs> meteorology schools out there, but man, OU is something. As you guys know, it's the center oh, yeah. of the meteorological universe. And so I've sent yes. a few of my, uh, a few of my uh, the younger kids that have written me and whatnot uh, to OU over the years, and, and they've, been, uh, they've been appreciative. That's that's awesome. I know the uh, the the non math person in it, kid inside of me. Ha- there was a roller coaster there. I was like, oh man, I need math at first. And then you pulled me back in. I was like, but, oh, I, I guess I don't. Need I that. can I can steer you to some good programs that are fo- focused on broadcast meteorology. And even if you suck at math, we can we can get you there. We can still get you there. That's good because I think all three of us do. <laughs> <laughs> but and but look how successful you've been. I mean, you guys are the best tornado trackers. I, you know, I personally, literally it's in your name, tornado trackers, but <laughs> seriously, I mean, just in our local area, you find tornadoes that were it not for your video, we would have no confirmation that a tornado had ever touched down unless the weather service came in and did the, the, the survey because it's way out in the country somehow. And somehow you, you guys are in the right place at the right time. I mean, you guys already know the atmosphere, especially when it comes to the most important thing, severe weather and tornado development. So, as you know, you don't have to be a great mathematician to do that, right? Absolutely. Thank you for saying that, Jim. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, th- and thank you for that advice, Jim. We know you got to run, but I-, I wanted to follow up on that first question that we had about the uh, the lightning in the in the in the bread uh, <laughs> that that Gabe gave us. Does that uh, seem plausible? Yeah, is that you know, number a little low? The hundred thousand. I thought it was a little low because <laughs> I recall that seeing uh, something about how one lightning bolt, uh, the energy from one lightning bolt, could. Uh, you know, power a city for whatever, or could power right. uh, could power a light bulb for how many every years or something like that. So it, <laughs> it seemed a little low to me. I'm going to follow up with the editor on yeah. that one. And I, <laughs> I need to get your I needed to get your take on that, Jim. So I appreciate. That I wish I had up. a better I wish I had a better answer. How many How many cities or how many light bulbs? How long it could power a light bulb for? But I think it's a, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Jim Spencer. Thank you so much for your time. We know you're literally in between broadcasts right now, so we so, so, so appreciate your time. And you've meant so much in our lives. You know, so many people could say that, but uh, it's just us three here today. So uh, we want to let you know how much you've meant to us and and, and been in our living rooms and right. um, given us the information that we needed to know to keep our families safe. And so... Thank you from the bottom of my hearts. And, and, um, and congratulations on 30 years. That's right. Thank you. And it is a semi-retirement. You still will, you still will see me occasionally, uh, <laughs> especially when the weather is bad. I'm really, really excited and looking forward to it. And thank you for your nice uh, words. I really appreciate the, those. And uh, I really appreciate the relationship we have with you all. Thank you. You all stay safe out there. Thank you, Jim. Well, that's it, fellas. That's uh, another amazing episode, incredible interview. Jim Spencer, what what an amazing person. Uh, I could have talked to him for a couple more hours. The guy is just incredible. If you ever find yourself reading one of his bios, what this guy is into, just volunteering in the community and just being an incredible human being. Wow. Well, follow us everywhere on social media at Tornado Trackers, Twitter, Instagram, Send us some of your weather stories. We would love, love, love to read what made you a weather person. Submit those through our website or just leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts. We would love to read those weather stories on air. But that's it. That's what all we got for this week. Another awesome episode. Thank you, Gabe Cox. Thank you, Jeff Mangum. Um, we will catch y'all in a couple weeks on another episode of the Tornado Trackers podcast. See ya. See ya.